Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. A very timely conversation right now with CBS reporter Jim Crusula. Uh, Jim, come on in here because we just carried a news conference live here by our provincial health officials and uh, a lot of questions from reporters about kids going back to school because our cases, we've had relatively low cases here in Winnipeg and Manitoba all along, but we're spiking again, and there's a lot of conversation now about how can we send kids back to the classroom. This has been a big topic of conversation in the U.S., and you're covering that story today. One that catches my eye is the Georgia High School because I saw the picture. It went viral. The hall was jammed, and now we know that six kids and three staff contracted COVID-19 after that photo went viral. Where is it at now in in Georgia? And I know the New York governor has weighed in on kids going back to school as well. Hell, good afternoon. We're talking about a high school west of Atlanta, North Paulding High School in Georgia, where this picture was taken last week. And then, of course, reports over the weekend that The school suspended the students who took those pictures and put them up on social media. Then they rescinded that suspension. And now we find out that several people associated with us, high school students, staff and teachers, are now testing positive for COVID-19. They have backed off on a plan at that school to start in-person classes here at the start of the school year. They're going to shift those classes online. Interestingly, also, since we're talking about schools and Mm -hmm. Georgia, Georgia's Republican Governor Brian Kemp saying this afternoon at an appearance that he is not going to issue a mask mandate for students, teachers, and staff in Georgia schools. And, of course, how he has refused to issue any kind of a statewide mask mandate in Georgia, even though he was among those governors in the American South who very aggressively, the Republican governors for the most part, very aggressively reopened those states. And of course, there's been a huge resurgence of COVID-19 cases in Georgia. Yeah. And the mask uh, question is one that's getting asked here as well. Um, And uh, our top doctor in the province of Manitoba just said live here on CJOB that he is working on a final recommendation. But the government here as well has seemed reluctant to say masks are mandatory. Um, Listen, we're talking apples and oranges. The U.S. is different than Canada. The numbers are different. The governments are all different. I know President Trump down there has been pushing kids uh, back to school. What's the issue with the mask? Why is it so hard for these officials here and there to make a mask mandatory? Well, increasingly in the last couple of weeks, more and more Republican governors who had opposed, opposed a mask mandate, specifically, again, in the South, have come around and are now doing that. The Republican governor of Mississippi and in neighboring Alabama, both those Republican governors have said, look, we want you to wear a mask. A Republican governor in Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, came out last week and said the same thing. So, again, this, as, as is the case so much now in the states, it seems, has gotten so political. Everything has gotten so political here in the states, it seems, and, and certainly this whole issue of masks. You talk about the president. He's been on social media tweeting again this afternoon because there's this debate in the states about college football. Should college football be played this fall? And the president is saying, play college football. That's what he's tweeted this afternoon. While there are reports that some of the largest college conferences, sports conferences in the states, 
are very close to pulling the plug on all of their college fall sports at this point. In fact, some of the over the weekend, some of the smaller athletic conferences, collegiate athletic conferences here in the United States did go ahead and say that, no, we're not going to play football this fall. We'll assess things after the first of the year. Possibly we could have football next spring. The politics isn't as big a part of it here as it is down there, and I understand, as I said, it's different there than here. Um, but there is that debate over over masks and, and how this should be handled. It, what's at the heart of it, do you think, Jim? You cover this story every day, most days. Is it that people don't want to go backwards? Uh, they worry about jobs, the economy, and, and that sort of thing? Or, or what's your sense of that? Well, hell, there's certainly that, but I think there's also this sense that you have in the states, and and I've long had this sense of government overreach. The government's not going to tell me what to do, no. Uh, or uh, no one's going to tell me what to do. It's my life. It's my. You, you get into the whole thing, the, the my liberties, my freedoms, and right. I think that that's a large part of this as well. Jim, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Sure, always good to talk to you. Take care. We're going to switch gears here, though. And talk about that deadly twister that killed two young people from Melita on the weekend near Verdon, south of Verdon. And joining me on the phone now, my weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson. Bruce, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for doing this. You know, what struck me, uh, and I was on the air on Friday afternoon, and there were some severe thunderstorm watches. But I did not get a sense that we might get a twister out of this, and yet it happened. And it was a big one, and a strong one, and a deadly one. Which just goes to show you, uh, when you have a chance of severe weather, it can always happen, I guess. Exactly. When, it's, it, when the things are set up properly for it, and that's what happened, the, the ingredients were there and it happened. Exactly where it happens, you can't tell necessarily, but you know the area that's prone to it. And that's what you look for, and you just have to be alert and watch and you know, look at the radar. If it starts getting really dark outside, you really got to see what's going on yeah and you said the area the areas that are prone to it and i wanted to ask you that question that came up in our news meeting this morning we were discussing uh you know tornadoes and somebody said man it seems like saskatchewan gets a lot or there's a lot in west man western manitoba mm-hmm. it, it can happen anywhere but it does seem like saskatchewan gets more than its fair share and a lot of the times when we see funnel clouds or twisters or tornadoes in Winnip- in manitoba it's in that Westman, southwestern Manitoba area. Exactly. It's pretty Winnipeg's somewhat on the edge, not quite on the edge, but it, the decreasing numbers as you go east. Then you go all the way west to about Calgary, and that's where the, the heart of it is. And uh, that's just because it's simply the ingredients. You've got cold, what they call continental polar air, which is cool and dry. Of course, it's cold and dry in the winter, but it's cool and dry this time of year. That comes down, and that clashes with the warm tropical air that comes up from the Gulf of Mexico. Well, you get a little bit further west, and that clash. It's harder for that tropical moisture to get up there, so a lot of times those air masses clash, and when they clash, bad things happen. It's and so is that all part of that? Uh, is, is that all? The tornado alley in the U.S. I was just going to ask you that. So is that sort of the northern part of that tornado alley that goes all the way down into the U.S.? Exactly. And the one difference is the heart of tornado alley, Kansas, eastern Texas panhandle into Oklahoma, they have not only the 
cooler air from the northwest, but they have hot air from the southwest. It comes in, they call it a dry line. That goes through. The cold air comes from the northwest, hot air from the southwest, warm, humid air from the southeast. And I can see, I'm not even sitting across from you, but I can see in your mind you're going, gee, that looks like it's spinning. Yeah. (laughs) All these different, you know, air masses from different directions, and that dry air is going to, you know, act like you're stepping on a, a balloon. Uh, to that warm, humid air, and it explodes upward, and that's what happens. So they get it even worse there for that reason, but the rest of Tornado Alley pretty much looks the same. The difference is up here compared to, say, the Tornado Alley in the central U.S. is that the season isn't as long simply because the warm season is not as long. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk more about the uh, tornado. Uh, we've got Joe Scarpelli, one of our global news reporters, who spent the weekend out in that part of the province. He's going to join us at about 2.45, quarter to 3 uh, this afternoon. And I want to uh, also pass along from Environment Canada some tornado safety, some advice if you find yourself uh, close to a tornado, specifically if you're in a car. And the two young people that died were were in one car and a man was seriously hurt in another car and when you think about these the power of i mean we see the videos right the storm chaser video uh videos that are online on social media and online from this tornado near verdon incredible uh, it, but you don't really get a sense you can tell there's they're powerful but you don't really get a sense that it could pick up and drop a car over a kilometer away and yet that's what this one did it did it to two vehicles one vehicle had two people in it that one went over a kilometer and killed two people so these are and and this was what an ef2 or an ef3 yeah, it wasn't EF2 even is uh, what they're saying right now so that's i mean that's strong but it's not as strong as say uh the eli tornado no no, definitely not, because that was an e, well, would be an EF5 in today's measurement, and that's just horrendous. That's as bad as they get, and that would, who knows how far it would have taken the car. It would have certainly taken it off the ground and deposited it somewhere else. But, yeah, and it's, the problem is these things come up so fast. If you're driving around, they could just suck you up. It's exactly what happened to them, and that's one thing you really got to be prepared to be aware and say, well, gee, this area looks like it. It doesn't look very good. I want to stay away. I'll go this way or that mm-hmm. way, you know, whatever different direction may take me longer, but I don't want to go through that. Yeah. And if you see something like, you know, say you see a, a, you know clouds like that or maybe the beginning of a funnel cloud, from that point to when it touches on the ground, it can literally be just a few minutes, right? Or even seconds, yeah. It, it, it can wow. be very fast because you don't see – that circulation, but you don't see the funnels coming down, but you don't see how strong that wind is right at the ground until all the debris makes that funnel, because that's what really makes the funnel stuff in the air. That's what you. That's how you see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Just uh, and so sad that you know two young people lost their lives and this other man suffered serious injuries. He, he's expected to to live. Uh, he'll be okay, but uh, still serious uh, injuries, uh, which is r- really tragic. And as I said, we're going to have more later on. Joe Scarpelli, our global news reporter, who's out there all weekend, and we're also uh, going to hear from Environment Canada on uh, some tips if you find yourself in a situation like that where you're in a car and, wow, a tornado touches down like that. What do you do? And it, and it's interesting, the advice. I heard it on the start this morning. It's not what I would have expected, and so that's coming up. Before I let you go, Bruce, we got about a minute here. Uh, let's talk about our forecast. Windy again today, windy tomorrow. 
Um, it looks like tomorrow we are on Wednesday. We've got a mix of sun and cloud. I just read the forecast: sixty percent chance of showers, but the heat's hanging in there. Right, it is, and um, of course, what we've got today is it's windy, but notice the dew point is low, dew point seven point four right now. So the humidity is really way down because it's a west wind, and everything's coming. Well, there's no ocean to our west except the Pacific, which doesn't count because all that moisture is blocked by the mountains. So it's dry. It's going to be warmer the next couple of days, but it's not going to get really humid. So it's not going to be that the air where you go out and just about suffocate, and then it's going to cool off a little bit. I think by the weekend. Into early next week, it might be closer to average, but we may get some storms Wednesday and again Friday, somewhere in that period. Thursday night uh, looks like there's a pretty good chance. So, it um, and uh, hopefully those will behave themselves. But then mm-hmm. it looks like it's going to be more toward seasonal averages uh, around the weekend and beyond that. So yeah. hopefully the you know the, you know the tropical you know type weather is behind us because that well that actually you know it's only uncomfortable but it can you know cause problems with that high humidity you get those dew points way up there and that clashing with the you know the polar air at uh, that doesn't work very well hall of fame broadcaster voice of the bombers bob irving bob good afternoon hello hal how are you doing i'm great I'll tell you, you put a smile on my face, and my heart warmed up when I saw you get that ring. That is, let me just say this, you know you deserve it, so I don't even need to tell you that. You know how I feel about you. But good on the Bombers for doing that for you, eh? Is that a nice gesture or what? Well, it was a very nice gesture, uh, very appreciated. Uh, You know, I had no idea they were going to do that. Uh, I was asked by a lot of people after they won the Grey Cup, do you think you'll get a ring? And I said, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm not counting on it because that's sort of not the norm in broadcasting, radio broadcasting of teams in Canada. It is more in the United States. Uh, Anyway, when it uh, came about last Thursday night and Michael Shea got up there to make a little speech about the rings uh, and then presented mine to me, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was was a cool moment, one I'll never forget. Uh, I had no expectation of getting one. I'm thrilled and honored that they would consider me of you know enough significance to the organization to include me in that and so it was a highlight for sure of my long years of covering the blue bombers well and i thought about this too you know i thought well of course bob should get a ring all these players and coaches come and go bob you've been there since the last great cup so yes you should get a ring well yeah and i think uh, you know it goes beyond just doing the play-by-play of the games i've done many things over the years for the Blue Bombers, emceeing all of their events that they have asked me to emcee, their Hall of Fame dinners, their legacy dinners, and basically anything they've asked me to do, I've done. And I might just add that I've never been paid for it by the Blue Bombers, nor did I ever expect to be, in case people are wondering if there's something yeah. extra in it for me when I do these right. things. There is not. I consider it to be part of the you know, the commitment to covering the team and being the play-by-play voice of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's uh, it's a special thing and uh, one I'll never forget. And I said on Thursday night that uh, of all the years I've covered the team, and I've watched them win Grey Cups in 84, 88, and 90. I've watched them mm-hmm. lose five Grey Cups. But that run last year in November, when they'd been really written out, written off and counted out by a lot of people, and they won that last regular season game, the semifinal game in Calgary, the final in Regina, that incredibly, uh, you know, tense ending there, and then uh, clobbering Hamilton in the Grey Cup game. That run, beating good teams basically on the road, 
uh, to win the Grey Cup was something I will never forget, and it's uh, one of the most memorable moments of all the years I've covered the team. Yeah, with a new quarterback. I mean, we could go on and on about that run, but it was it was truly an incredible run. Now, listen, my wife Jackie, who loves you, and and I know you like her a lot. Uh, she has a beautiful ring. Uh, so when I showed her yours, she said, "Wow, ask Bob what that's worth." Any idea? Uh, it's priceless, Bob. I understand it's priceless, but for Jackie, she's asking, "Do we know what it's worth?" That's a lot of diamonds, man. Yeah, I don't have any idea. I asked uh, someone who I'm fairly close to with the Blue Bombers what they thought, and they just said, I have no idea. They kind of rolled their eyes and said they wouldn't be cheap. <laughs> uh, there's diamonds and there's sapphires, 11 sapphires wow. surrounding the, the top part of where the diamonds are, which represents the 11 gray cups that the Bombers have mm-hmm. won. And there's there's gold and there's white gold in it. And, uh, you know, the gray cup is on there. The uh, Golden Boy. The Golden Boy. It says CFL on the side. They've got. Uh, they've somehow got the uh, canopies of the stadium in there. They've really done a marvelous job. And Andrew Harris yeah. and Adam Bighill were very involved in the designing of the rings, and they wanted it to be a real Winnipeg look to the rings, yeah. and it certainly is with the W for the Blue Bombers on top and then all of the Manitoba elements on the side. So. Yeah, it's really, uh, I'm sitting here looking at it right now, as a matter of fact, Hal. I haven't had it out of my sight very much. Since <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, and, you know, sometimes those championship rings, you know, I, I've seen them, they they can be sort of gaudy. You know, you sort of yeah. think, oh, like, come on, a little over the top. This is just a stunning ring. Well, it's a little bit gaudy, but it's not gaudy enough that you feel uncomfortable <laughs> wearing it. I, right. I think it's, it's suitably gaudy, if I can put it that way. Yeah, no, <laughs> Sure. It's tasteful. Uh, they they did everything right, in my view, yeah. in uh, designing this and and crafting it and putting it together. So they, you know, a bang up job. And Wade Miller, you know, really has done such a fantastic job in many areas, not just structuring a winning culture here in Winnipeg with Kyle Walters and Michael Shea, but in some of the off the field things. And like this one, the players. And there was nine players there. The players who live in Winnipeg were there last Thursday night. But the other ones have all seen their rings uh, virtually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they have to appreciate the craftsmanship and the effort and the expense that has gone yeah. into making these championship rings. And, you know, to Wade, the Wade Miller and, and the entire, uh, you know, front office there in Bomberland, when you think about where the team was at and what it had been through when Wade came in, it really is incredible what's happened in a very short period of time. Yeah, and it's taken, you know, longer than, because fans want immediate results, and it's probably taken a little longer than fans wanted. But, you know, they went to the playoffs four years in a row after they got things turned around and assembled their talent better and, you know, had a head coach in Mike O'Shea who knew how to put together a winning culture. I use that word culture a lot. Uh, but mm-hmm. they've done a fabulous job. The three of them, they, the three Canadians who are in charge, the Canadian Mafia, as Dave Dickinson <laughs> referred to them a couple of years ago, they deserve a ton of credit for the way this club has established itself as a place to be in the Canadian Football League, a championship place to be. And it's just been so unfortunate that they couldn't go back on the field this year and uh, try to make it two in a row. Yeah. Okay, so now will the Bombers have a chance of getting a ring in 2020? Where are we at with the CFL season? Nothing. The silence is deafening, Hal. Uh, The talks are still going on, I can tell you that, behind the scenes. And people want to hear information. 
But until there is something concluded now, I don't think we'll hear a word from the league or for anywhere else. The players have gone very silent. Uh, so there are talks going on. The money from the government, uh, my understanding, is there, uh, providing the health authorities approve of the plan for the hub city here in Winnipeg. The agreement between the league and the Players Association is very close, if it's not there. There are just a lot of I's to dot and T's to cross, and I know that's an old cliche, but it certainly applies here. And you know, I've been saying for three weeks now that we'll know this week whether or not they're going to be able to play some games this year. And I guess that's what I'd say today. We'll know this week. And there's a chance on Thursday, from what I understood, there was more optimism than there had been in a while about there being some games, a six or eight game schedule. Uh, and I think that still applies today, but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen. It could still all fall apart and they would have to announce that the season has been canceled. So 50-50, I've called it 50-50 all along, Hal. It might be a little higher now. It might be 60-40 in favor uh, and we should know in a few days because they can't, they just can't go much longer and hope to play before winters and finish the season before winter sets in. So, yeah, you know, we're all sitting here, those who want to see Canadian football, and there are thousands of people across the land who would love to see some this year. Fans of the CFL, uh, we're going to have to wait another day, another two days, another three, four, who knows. And and I don't think this will impact the decision. I think it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. But, you know, with the spike in cases here, that doesn't help things either, right? Like you talk about health officials being involved in in yeah. making it, it happen. You know, another 16 today. We have more active cases today at 196 than we've had during the entire pandemic. Winnipeg and Manitoba was seen as a almost a, a COVID-free zone, and, and now, you know, those numbers are going up, and, and that can't uh, be good news either, as we hope for a CFL season. No, it hurts the optics from people outside of the province for sure, Hal. Those who don't look closely enough, though, at the numbers, our numbers in Winnipeg remain extremely low, and these true this explosion in recent days, and I think it's important to point this out when we're talking about the possibility of Hub City Games here, most of the new cases have been, uh, you know, in the different uh, health regions, not in Winnipeg. And so I'm sure that is what's being emphasized by Wade Miller and the people when they speak to the health authorities. And, you know, the whole plan for the players, if it does happen to come here, are to be isolated in Winnipeg, in hotels in Winnipeg. And so that has to be kept in mind. When you see the, you know, the cases spike, uh, it's a concern for everybody, but in this particular instance with the hub city concept, the fact that they remain solo in Winnipeg is what has to be kept in mind. Mm-hmm. And you talk about, uh, you know, 50-50, whether or not there's a bomber season, 12.5% is the chances that the Jets get the top pick yeah. at 5 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about this kid. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not a big hockey guy, and you are, along with, of course, uh, a big football guy. Tell me about this kid that's likely going to go as the first overall pick. Well, his name's Lafreniere. He's been the uh, the top choice of all the scouts and all the analysts for weeks and months now. And the team that gets the first overall pick, there's not even any discussion about it. Yeah, uh, he's he's going to be the guy. He's a forward. He's not a he's not a Connor McDavid or a, you know a real high scoring guy. Although he's very good offensively, but he's considered to be just an you know an all around outstanding talent. And the team that gets him 
is going to be very lucky. He'll be a player you can build around, or if you're Winnipeg or Edmonton and somebody like that, and you're fortunate enough to get the first pick, you can add him to, and he can augment the talent that you already have. So, yeah, uh, lots of hockey fans will be keeping a very close eye on that uh, lottery draft tonight to see who gets the first overall pick, and the Winnipeg Jets have a 12.5% chance. Those aren't the kind of odds you'd take to Vegas, Hal, but, uh, you know, considering the way this whole drafting has unfolded, uh, the Jets are in a pretty good position, far better than they probably should be in terms of the way uh, drafts usually work. So, yeah, lots of eyes on that tonight. Bob, thanks for this. Appreciate it. Okay, Al. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.